You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago. And welcome to another broadcast of Diakonia, a call to service. Diakonia, of course, is the Greek word for service. It's also the root word for deacon. And my name is Deacon Richard Hudzik, and I'm privileged to serve the Archdiocese as vicar for deacons, uh, working out of the office of the diaconate in Forest Park, Illinois. I also am assigned as deacon to... Uh, Mary Mother of Divine Grace Parish in Westchester, which is a great joy to me as well. And as usual, as has been the practice for I forget how many months, years, whatever, uh, but joining in the studio is uh, Deacon David Brensick, Associate Director of the Diaconate and assigned as Deacon to Holy Guardian Angels, I think. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yeah. In Brookfield, LaGrange Park. Happy New, Happy New Year, everyone. And Happy New Year to you as well, Dave. Uh, this show is uh, one that's been graciously allowed to the diaconate office by the Archdiocese, and uh, we're privileged to use this, this time and this space and this uh, medium uh, for presenting uh, a show not so much or not really about deacons, but, but by deacons. And we, we use this platform to uh, bring to light some of the things that the diaconate is doing with the hopes that um, others might join with us and uh, we might communicate to you things that are of, uh, of importance to us and our hearts and, as I say, uh, invite you to journey along with us on this, uh, uh, this, this journey of being uh, disciples of, of Jesus. And for today's show, we have uh, brought back, uh, due to popular demand, I'm sure, the cards and letters have been coming in, but we've, we've invited <laughs> back uh, Dawn Fitzpatrick uh, from, the, uh, from the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Dawn is the director thereof. And Dawn, are you out there electronically someplace? I believe so. There Here I go. am. Hello, okay. my deacon friends. Oh. How are you today? Good, good, good. good. So uh, officially, what's what's your what's your title uh, in the arch? Yes, well, and the Respect Life Office is actually a part of a larger office, which is the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity. And so my title is Senior Coordinator for the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity, and I direct of the Respect Life Ministries as well as the Chastity Education Initiative. Okay, all right. Yes. You're, you're still in the you're still in the same ballpark you've been in for. 
for a number of years, regardless of the uh, the appellations. Uh, yes. Oh yes. Okay. Good. Oh good. yes. So um, it, it's been a, it's been a while. Of course, I'm being facetious mm-hmm. about the cards and letters coming in, but maybe we'll get some this time. But it's been a while. So to reintroduce you to our uh, our listening and viewing audience, just a few words about who you are, where you come from, and and how you got into this this sort of ministry. Okay, well, I've been here with the Archdiocese for seven and a half years, and actually I moved here to uh, to run the Respect Life Ministries. My husband, uh, his job brought him here before that, and we had lived in South Carolina and Maryland. In, in both places, I was a youth minister in a parish. Um, prior to that, I was a corporate trainer and uh, taught college public speaking. I, I'm a mother of two now-grown daughters, I have a three-year-old granddaughter, and interestingly enough, one of the uh, things that happened during the pandemic is my husband was ordained a deacon for the Diocese of Joliet, so um, that's a little bit about me. Very cool, very <laughs> cool. So wh- when was the ordination? Just this, within this past past 12 months? Well, it's been, it was 2020 August, so okay. Okay. that was a year and a half, just about. What, what parish yeah. are you, you is St. James and Glen Ellen. Okay. I've been there. Mm-hmm. Good place. Uh, over yeah. by College of DuPage. Yes, absolutely. Okay. It's about a mile from, actually, it's not even a mile. It's right around the corner from the College of DuPage. Okay. Right. Good yeah. place. Good place. So, well, welcome welcome back, and we're, we're delighted to have you. And just to, to get into, uh, hit the ground running here, we're in the month of January, uh, traditionally Respect Life Month. Uh, we've got uh, a variety of, of things going on, one of which and I wanted to get your commentary on, on some action before the United States Supreme Court. Or, oral arguments have been heard on this, and I guess is uh, with the particularly uh, difficult cases, we were probably don't expect a decision on the first of these two uh, decision, these uh, cases until late in the term, I guess early June. But what I'm talking mm-hmm. about here, first of all, is Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Dawn, what yes. is this this case about? We hear all about it, but let's let's mm-hmm. s- start from the beginning, or you know, just a, a thumbnail. Uh, Dobbs for dummies, I guess. What what's this about? <laughs> well, um, Mississippi passed a law that said that it was illegal to have an abortion for most reasons after 15 weeks. So that the women's health, um, Jackson Women's Health, sued them um, and basically said that that was unconstitutional for them to pass such a law. So fortunately, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear that case. Um, and there's been conjecture that they already have have you know argued it with them among themselves and decided it was worthy to hear um, and that there might even be enough um, feeling, amongst the justices that this um, this could actually be something that could overturn Roe versus Wade. So that's why they decided to hear it. At least that's what people are kind of saying. Yeah. So well, in my, in going back to my uh, my other mm-hmm. way of life, uh, practicing law, if, if I recollect correctly, it requires four justices to grant a writ of certiorari. So it takes four of them to not not to decide it initially, but at least say, let's right. let's 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 hear this case. So you've got four, sure. four who are animated. So four of them had to agree, and then now five are going to have to agree for that that uh, the law can stand, and the law would, you know, definitely conflict with uh, Roe versus Wade. So, so um, you know, so what about versus- that? You know, we've got uh, 
Roe versus Wade, 1973. Uh, that's a long time standing. We hear people talk about, well, stare decisis says you, you can't upset people. Uh, you can't just change your mind. Uh, Roe versus Wade uh, declared the constitutional rights to, to this, uh, the right to abortion premised upon uh, some privacy right of privacy it was really because of privacy but it also said that that uh, they were able to kind of determine that an abortion was um it, it certainly couldn't they couldn't pass a law that would inhibit inhibit abortions after uh viability or before viability so viability originally they said was 28 weeks and now they have it down to about 24 weeks um that just means that the baby could live independently outside of the womb um but of course, there have been cases where children have survived at 20 weeks. Mm -hmm. So I think that's this this case kind of pushes that envelope to see what the uh, Supreme Court will say about that. You know, as, as a philosophical matter, if the uh, if viability is the standard by which personhood is determined, uh, what we're seeing then is that personhood is a constantly moving target, which philosophically, exactly. theologically, is is unsatisfying because a, a person is a person. Well, of course, exactly. Well, and of course, you and I believe that a person is a person from the moment of conception, which is um, originally, interestingly enough, when they passed Roe versus Wade, um, the first law said that, uh, you know, that a person was a person at fertilization and then they changed they kept changing their definition and they finally got to viability at 28 weeks so um so yes it is a moving target and it doesn't seem um like we should be uh playing with human life in such a way but um but that's what we've been doing for 49 years since roe versus wade was passed in 1973 what, what's that what's so, that doctor that dr seuss line about uh a person is a person no matter how small no matter or something how small. Like <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's great. So um, Horton hears a who. No, it's Horton hears a who. Okay, all right, um, all right. I'm okay. I just I love Dr. Seuss. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, so we have set up a well. The, this litigation sets up a a conflict, a uh, presumably a direct challenge between Roe versus Wade and what the Mississippi statute has done is that the the two cannot presumably stand simultaneously. One or the other is going to have to give. Uh, at least that's mm -hmm. that, that's what the, the commentariat is saying. So what happens if um, the Mississippi statute is upheld and there are these uh, stringent restrictions on abortions after 15 weeks? Uh, what, you know, what happens across the country? Anything? Well, mm -hmm. well, I think what, what, uh, the decision would be is that the Roe versus Wade decision would be overturned and everything then would go back to the states to uh, to determine how they want to handle abortion in their own states. Um, and we've seen a lot of states kind of preparing for that moment in our own, especially included. Um, Illinois has passed laws that have codified abortion in our state code, um, you know, that would then just take over. Uh, we're also at a point where we pay for abortions out of our Medicaid tax dollars. We also don't require parents. Um, where we're just well, we just wait for the governor to sign that 
law, certainly, but the it was passed um, through the House and Senate that parents are not, it is not required to notify a parent even if an underage girl has an abortion in the state. So, um, and, and abortion is legal up until the moment of birth. And there is some discussion about putting um, a bill on the floor in the next legislative session that would say that we don't even need a doctor to perform an abortion. Um, abortion clinics do not need any inspection. They um, There's really nothing overseeing it at all. There's been a lot um, out there pushing the chemical abortion to, to be easier and easier to obtain um, so people can have these, these abortions at home, you know, um, which is really sad. But anyway, so in our state, it's already been put in place that it, it's going to happen. So what what we think would happen is more people will come from the states that have more restrictive laws into our state to have their abortions. Um, and it's been kind of advertised that that's what we want here. So um, that's that's a real shame. But that's the kind of thing that'll happen. You have states like Texas who are trying to put in place much more restrictions, you know, um, and as and if. And, and I would imagine that every state's going to take draw their line in the stand and say, well, this is where we are on that topic. Um, you, we're either a, a place for abortions or we're not. So, so in a sense, we've got, uh, I don't know if, if a Pyrrhic victory is, is, is the correct terminology, but this is not the, the end of abortions in the United States by, by any oh, stretch no. of the imagination. Oh, no. Absolutely not. So our work is still cut out for us, regardless. And I, I think that it'll be even more cut out for us in Illinois, because as I said, we're going to have people crossing state lines to come here to get their abortions. So we, we still um, need to convince our legislators to change those laws. We still need to do everything we can to take care of women so they make the right choices. Um, we, we need to take care of women in the whole Midwest so that they are, they are, um, realizing that they have other choices besides abortion and they shouldn't be choosing abortion because it's the seemingly most convenient or the quickest way to get rid of what they consider a problem. Um, you know, of course, we don't think that a child is ever a problem. Uh, it just might pre present some challenges. So we need to help people to be able to face those challenges. All right, Don, we're going we're gonna to go to a break very shortly, but when mm -hmm. we come back, I want to talk about uh, both what our response might be to develop entire life picture uh, both yes. here and elsewhere and also a word or two about the texas heartbeat law and then finally we don't want let, to let you go without uh some conversation about chastity education and that work that you do uh, uh for okay. the archdiocese in that direction so we will be back with Great. those those three topics As you think about year-end contributions, we at Catholic Charities thank you for considering a donation. 100% of every donation goes directly to our charitable work. Every donation allows us to continue to offer programs and services that affirm, strengthen, and empower those we serve as they work toward becoming self-sufficient. We are financially independent from the Archdiocese of Chicago, and we are proud of our Platinum Guide Star rating as a nonprofit. 
For more than 100 years, Catholic Charities has been helping homeless, hungry, and troubled neighbors in Cook and Lake counties. We would be honored to have your support in our 2021 year-end appeal. Visit catholiccharities.net to donate or call 312-948-6087. The number again is 312-948-6087. Thank you for being partners with us in the mission of Catholic Charities. I feel special. <laughs> I feel great. I got good grades. We've seen a huge surge in our kids now meeting or exceeding grade level. Come check us out. You may have never thought we were an option before. Catholic Charities, we fight hunger in Chicago throughout the year. Our six regional offices in Cook and Lake Counties work together to offer sit-down and to-go meals to anyone in need. We deliver meals to those who are homebound, and our eight food pantries offer three to four days of food supplies based on household size. Participants in these programs have the opportunity to learn about other Catholic charity services that strengthen individuals, families, and their communities. The challenges for those dealing with food insecurity are especially great during the winter months. To learn how you can help those who are hungry in your neighborhood, visit catholiccharities.net or call 312-655-7525. That's 312-655-7525. Thank you for your generosity. At my right hand or at my left is not for me to give but for those for whom it has been And we are back with the monthly presentation of Diaconia, a call to service. Uh, my name is Deacon Richard Hudzik. I'm joined today by, as usual, Deacon Dave Brensick. And on the line is Dawn Fitzpatrick of the Archdiocese of Chicago, uh, working in uh, matters of respect, life, fullness of mm -hmm. human dignity, chastity, education, and the whole panoply, the array of of, of life issues. So uh, glad you're able to join us, Dawn. It's, it's always a pleasure to have you and uh, pick your brain okay. for some, for some uh, expertise in this. Um, just before the break, I, the, the, the phrase, the Texas heartbeat law and that uh, the litigation arising therefrom uh, was mentioned. Why are we hearing about the Texas heartbeat law? What is the Texas heartbeat law? And why do I care? Right. Well, that um, law went into effect last year. And what it says is effectively um, that abortions are not legal after six weeks or when the heartbeat is detected. Um, but what they did, which was kind of an interesting approach to avoid the uh, the Roe versus Wade totally kiboshing the law, was they said that it wasn't they weren't going to criminally 
um, hold people accountable. But instead, there was a, civ a civil ability that anybody could sue a perpetrator of abortion, whether it was somebody that uh, conducted the abortion, someone that drove someone to get the abortion, somebody that convinced a woman to have an abortion, that they could sue that person for and for $10,000 in damages. Um, and they could be sued multiple times from different people. So it was kind of an interesting way to approach it so that uh, Roe versus Wade didn't really have any jurisdiction over that law since it became civil instead of criminal. And it does not affect the woman herself. It only affects the people involved in helping her make that decision. So um, so that was kind of an interesting approach. Yeah, because the, the, end, the end around is to remove the uh, the state actor as, as a defendant so that you can't... Uh, uh, right. The, the, the state is not directly involved, uh, long story short. So you've now got this, yes. this private right of action, which is a rather curious way of doing it, but as you say, novel. Um, because I think I've heard that uh, at least eight other states have had some uh, heartbeat law, uh, all of which were, were stricken as being uh, inconsistent with, with Roe versus Wade. And that, because once you have mm -hmm. a constitutional right and it has uh, this higher level of review that you can it becomes uh, inviolable untouchable by and large um, without an extraordinary demonstration of of the state's interest um, so you right you get yourself out of that situation with this but one other thing that i think is really important to talk about in this law in texas is is it's really kind of brilliant because it not only is it have they made it a civil offense rather than a criminal offense, but they also, as a part of that law, took $100 million and put it into a fund to help women. Now, this is something that the, the opponents of this Texas law will never talk about, but they took $100 million so that women who are having children for whatever reason can access that money for for whatever they need, whether it's health care or, you know, taking care of the child, um, whether they need a place to live. I mean, there's so many reasons why they can pull from that fund. Um, that, so it, so that's that goes, exactly what we need to be doing, oh, absolutely. taking care of the world. Yeah, and, yeah. and, that, and that reacts against the, the, the phony canard that, well, you pro-life people are only interested in birthing children, but once they're birthed, it's not your problem, which is, exactly. which is a falsehood, but this is... That's a falsehood anyway, but they, they're really putting their money where their mouth is exactly. in that situation. Oh, that's, that's terrific. Um, I mean, obviously, we do so much for women in, in Illinois. I mean, we, of course, we're against killing children, but we are also very much in favor of taking care of women. We have, you know, so many women's centers that I work with that don't do abortions. Instead, they offer women real choices. So, you know, and that is ways to, to manage themselves, their pregnancy, that child um, that they're not going to get from an abortion clinic. So. Okay, good. And the, the status of that is, uh, is the Supreme Court uh, is allowing the, the case to continue uh, the, the challenges and the support of it, but it is, it's, it's, its effective operation is in abeyance until uh, further court action. So it's, it's there on the books, right. not, not in play, but... Um, subject to uh, the challenges up and down the court um, through, through right. the system. So, okay. All right. So there's still challenges happening, but meanwhile, the, the law stands. Yeah. Okay. All right. And I want to, I want to back off here from the microphone a tad and, and, and ask Dave to, to jump in here with, with a new line of questioning for our witness. 
Okay. Dawn, so all these things are going on in, in, in Texas and Mississippi. You know, mm-hmm. how does it impact us here in Illinois? I mean, how how do we as Catholics here in Illinois spread the the good news about life in Illinois? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's sev- there's several ways. Um, there, as as has been tradition, there is a March for Life coming up in Chicago um, on the eighth of January, which is a Saturday. Um, it, and actually, the way that they're handling that this year is there's a convention at the Hilton Michigan South, which is 720 South Michigan, and the convention um, will include a youth rally that my office is running with um, Mark and Abby Dufresne as the praise and worship leader, and we'll have Steve Jacobs as a keynote. Um, he is a the program director for Illinois Right to Life and, and an expert on the topics we've been discussing this morning. Um, he'll be there at the youth rally. Uh, so, so t- you know, anybody's welcome to come to the youth rally. It's $15. The convention is free, um, but you will need to sign up for the convention and the youth rally. Um, so be sure that you do both. And then we have mass at the convention center at four o'clock with Bishop Bartosik. Um, the march is at one o'clock. So the youth rally ends about 1130. Everyone can get out to Federal Plaza. There'll be some rally speakers and then a march that will head down Michigan Avenue back to the convention center. So um, that's one thing. Just I think this is a really important year to and an exciting year for us to be pro-life. So it's a great way to to be involved in the excitement and to um, to just get some education too. the convention itself has exhibitors of different uh, pro-life organizations, but it also has some workshops that people can go to. So, um, so that's just a great way to educate yourself on on what's going on and how to be involved. How do, now, how, how, course, do, I, how do I sign mm-hmm. up? How, how, where's 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 okay. the access to that? So, if you go to MarchForLifeChicago.org, you'll see all the information about the March for Life Chicago, um, and you can register for the convention there. And there is also a link over to our website, which is respectlifechicago.org, uh, where you can sign up for the youth rally. So you'll need to sign up for both, but they will toggle you back and forth. Um, so you can do that. If you go to one, you'll see a link to the other. So that's so. marchforlifechicago.org or respectlife.org. Chicago. Chicago.org. Yes. Okay. All right. Good. All right. So the, the March for Life. Chicago is now run by a group called We Dignify, who is, um, you know, a college organization, and it, they're really going to take it to the next level. I think they they just Great. took this over last year, um, and I think that we're now going to be really rivaling, um, you know, what's happening in Washington. And I would I don't mean rivaling in a bad way. It just we we want to be uh, known as the place to come to stand up for life. And with everything going on in Illinois, what better place in the Midwest than Chicago to uh, to really host something like this. So we, we will, we are expecting to have, you know, guests that coming from all over the Midwest to be a part of the March for Life Chicago. And, and they have been, we went from, um, in 2013, there was like 150 people that were marching for life and it's all the way up to between nine and 10,000 two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, Don, we just have, so it's a, really great. we just have another minute or so left, but, uh, okay. very quickly, can you tell us a little bit about the chastity education that you're involved with? Sure. So in our Chastity Education Initiative, um, we work with with young people, with with young adults, with parents, with parishes to help 
people to understand why we why we were created, why we're here, what is our purpose, what is our vocation. Um, we focus on theology of the body most of the time, and we also do puberty talks. Um, we host um, national speakers from around the country, like Damon Owens, Jason Everett, Brian Butler. We do um, a big retreat in the summer called Echo, which is a theology of the body immersion for youth or teens and young adults. Um, we're bringing Christopher West here in April to put on a, an event called Made for More on April 5th and 6th. Um, and on the 5th, it will be at St. Alphonsus on Wellington in, in Lakeview in the city. Um, and on April 6th, which is a Wednesday, it will be at St. Damien. Now, this is an incredible event. It's called Made for More Visions of the Promised Land. And it's multimedia. Mike Mangione is a, is a musician that is there with Christopher West. Christopher West is this incredible speaker. He, um, he has a, a doctorate in theology and he uh he runs the theology of the body institute in pennsylvania so just he's he's phenomenal i've been studying with him for years and i'm one class away <laughs> from finishing so he's um he's he's just incredible so well, it's nice to bring my my mentor here you know that's, um, that's great Donna, just, i'm hearing i'm hearing the uh the, the theme music uh, fading in and and gonna be drowning all three of our voices so i just want it before that happens Fully, I want to thank you for, for being with us and, and sharing some time with us. And maybe when you're a graduate, we can have you back and you can uh, give us a 30-minute thumbnail sketch of Theology of the Body for adults, uh, what that means for adults. Uh, chastity is not just for kids. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Well, God bless okay. you. God bless you, Don. You be best to uh, Deacon Fitzpatrick, and thank you, David. Thanks, Don. Thank you, guys. Baptized like I have been baptized.